Thank you, Sheldon. That was an awesome worship, wasn't it? Can we give our worship team some love? Thank you, guys. You guys are so awesome. Um, well, Erwan is about halfway through her, his trip in Indonesia. Um, so he sends his love as well. So I guess I represent, represent him today. Uh, you know, it's always great to be here with you. Um, you know, there's nothing like worshiping with our brothers and sisters in the house of God. Amen. So two weeks ago, uh, I got to spend a whole Saturday with our youth group at a day camp. And one of the high schooler, uh, high school girls was sitting next to me, you know, on our way, on our drive down. And we just started chit-chatting about, you know, all sorts of things, family vacation, uh, school, Bible camps. And then all of a sudden, she asked me, what do you think about churches speaking out politically and supporting certain political views? So I have to be honest with you. I was a little taken aback by the question. You know, here I'm at, I am at a day camp. I was so ready to talk about boys and dating and, um, you know, uh, even going into a big speech about how social media is bad for you. But political view? I mean, that is a, some serious question, right? So I thought for a moment and I, I said, well, I think we as Christians should always align ourselves with the word of God, right? We should use the word of God as our guide. So I said, if the political view aligns with the Bible, then I think the church should support it. So little did she know that her question was very timely. Um, at the end of June, I was asked to preach today and I knew I wanted to share on the sanctity of life. You know, in light of the recent decisions by the U.S. Supreme Court on abortion rights and all the debates and all the attention that followed, I wanted to share with you what the Word of God says about a human life, inside and outside of the womb, as compared to what the culture says. Um, and I also want to equip you on defending the biblical pro-life stand and I will share with you some evidence and reasons uh, so that we can, you know, uh, for some, against some pro-abortion arguments. So, as you can see, this is definitely not a walk in a park kind of topic. I mean, when you walked in, you probably didn't know what you were getting yourself into today. Uh, so I have a lot to cover, and I think it's so important for us to know the truth in this very confusing culture that we live in. So let's get started, shall we? Uh, before we get, we get into the word, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you, Lord Jesus, for today. Thank you for this house. Thank you for uh, that we can be here and worship you freely together. Father, I pray, Lord Jesus, that you will clear our mind, clear our heart to receive what you have in store for us today. We thank you, Lord Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as followers of Jesus, we want to be biblical, right? Not to be political. So there's no place than the word of God to see what he says about human life. So Genesis 1.27 says, So God created man, actually mankind, in his image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So God created each one of us in his image. We, you and I, are image, are God's image bearers. 
No other creation can claim that, right? So that's why human beings are intrinsically valuable, and that is the sanctity of life. You know, that we are sacred, we are precious, because we are his image bearers. And here's another verse I want to share with you about God creating each one of us intimately. Actually, Irma already shared this earlier. So David wrote in Psalm 139, 13 through 14, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I'm wonderfully and uh, fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. The almighty God himself created each one of us while we're in the, inside our mother's womb. He was there from the very beginning. He designed us with great love and care. So God is also very clear on the value of a human being. The fifth of the Ten Commandments says clearly that you shall not murder. And in Proverbs 6, 16 through 19, lists six things that, the God, that God hates. And one of them is the hands that shed innocent blood. So I think we can all agree on the sanctity of life. The human beings are intrinsically valuable from the time that we are in our mother's womb. And the intentional killing of a human life is wrong. Anybody disagree? Don't, please don't raise your hand. <laughs> so abortion is the intentional killing of an innocent life, an unborn baby. So how can some people say that it's okay? I want to take a uh, kind of walk us through the case of Roe v. Wade and its recent reversal by the Supreme Court, uh, U.S. Supreme Court. Who here hasn't heard of Roe v. Wade? Okay. It's all over the news, right, in the past couple of weeks. So I want to just give you a, a so Roe v. Roe versus Wade is not the beginning of abortions in the U.S., but it is definitely one of the most famous cases. So I want to just um, kind of walk us through, give you a quick background on it. So the case started in 1970. A young woman named Norma McCorvey, uh, she went by the legal pseudonym Jane Rowe, uh, was pregnant for the third time at the age of 21 after giving up her first two babies for adoption. So she was pregnant again, and she didn't want a baby, and so she wanted an abortion. But the state of Texas at that time only allowed abortions in cases where the mother's life was in danger. So she filed a case in Dallas where she lived. And at that time, Henry Wade was the uh, district attorney in Dallas, and that's why we have Roe versus Wade. So she uh, lost the case in Dallas, so she appealed to the U.S. Supreme Court. So after almost three years, by then, Norma already gave birth to a baby girl, and she gave the baby up for adoption again. So on January 22nd, 1973, the Supreme Court issued a 7-2 decision to protect a pregnant woman's right to abortion. But the court also recognizes that it needs to protect the lives of the women and the unborn baby. They, they label it potential life. So there, are some, there, are some, there were some restrictions. So the choice is entirely up to the mom for the first three months, which is the first trimester, trimester of the pregnancy. And then there are legal restrictions and bans in the second and third trimester. So at the first glance, 
Roe v. Wade doesn't seem all that bad, but it has devastating effects for years to come. Because following Roe, new court cases redefined what it means for a pregnancy to be detrimental to a woman's health. So for instance, one of those cases is uh, Bolton v. Doe in 1973, which allowed abortions for just about any reason. So why is this old case back in the news after 50 years? Because on June 24, 2022, just about five, six weeks ago, the U.S. Supreme Court officially reversed the ruling of Roe v. Wade after almost 50 years. What does that mean? That means the constitutional rights to abortion no longer exist. Now it's up to the individual states to decide if and how they will allow for abortions. Um, because of this reversal, uh, I'm sorry, actually 26 states, 26 states are likely to uh, restrict or even ban uh, access to abortions altogether. So that's great news for the pro-lifers. Because, because of this recent reversal, um, the debates on pro-life and pro-abortions are everywhere. If you're on social media, if you read the news, it is everywhere. So some abortionists are marching and protesting, and some pro-lifers are being ridiculed and attacked. So as Christians, how should we respond to the issue of abortions? How should we talk to somebody who does not share the same view? I want to point you to the scripture in 1 Peter 3. Peter wrote, In your heart, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, but do it with gentleness and respect. So this is what we should do as Christians, right? First, defend our pro-life stand with reasons. Second, we defend, the we defend and reason with gentleness and respect, not hostility or hatred. So do you know what is called when we defend our faith with reasons? Do you guys know? It's called apologetics. I personally love apologetics because I'm a very, very uh, logical person. And I think my family would say it sometimes to a fault. So apologetics is the study and practice of giving objective reasons, not emotional reasons, and evidence to defend the Christian faith. So Imagine you're having uh, a conversation with your co-worker over lunch, and somehow the, the topic of abortion comes up. And your co-worker is a, uh, a pro-abortionist, and you, know, you guys are having an earnest conversation, and he asks you, why are you pro-life? So because you listen to this message, you share from Genesis and Psalm the verses that says, oh yeah, because lives are intrinsically valuable because we are created in the image of God. And the killing of an innocent life is wrong, right? And your coworker says, okay, I don't believe in your God and I don't believe in your Bible. 
So I guess you are entitled to your opinion and me to mine. So it's very useful and helpful if you have objective reasons behind your stand when others only have opinions. So when you can provide evidence and objective reasons, sometimes you can convince somebody to change their view. So I forgot where I heard this. It says, God doesn't need defending, but people need help. People need help understanding. So we need to have real conversations with real people, um, you know, especially when they don't share the same belief and same view as us. So I want to share with you a few objective arguments that you can make to stand up for the life uh, of the newborn, of the unborn. So I think the biggest argument, I think it is the heart of this very contentious and divided debate is whether the unborn is a human person. So this quote sums it up very well. It says, if the unborn is not a human person, no justification for abortion is necessary. Because it's really just a clump of tissue, you know, a clump of cells. It's like your appendix, like your kidney. I mean, you remove it. There's no, you don't have to explain, right? However, if the unborn is indeed a human person, no justification for abortion is adequate because that will be murder. This quote is from Gregory Coco. Uh, he is a Christian apologist and the founder of the organization called Stand to Reason. But people can't seem to agree on when life begins inside a womb. You know, some studies have said over 95% of biologists believe that life begins at conception. You know, I'm, not, I'm no scientist, but I want to use some common sense here. When a human person is pregnant, I think everybody recognizes that inside of her is another human life, right? I've been pregnant a few times. And every time I was pregnant, people never asked me, are you having a human? You know, I didn't just get lucky and birthed three human babies, right? So it is very hard to deny that the unborn is hu it's a human. So the pro-abortionists trying to find a way around it. They came up with another argument. Well, I guess it is a human, but it's not a person. Somehow they have to find a difference between a human and a person. I don't know about you. I've never heard of such a thing called human non-person. You know, um, so they're saying that somehow a human has to gain personhood to deserve human rights. History has shown that we're headed to a very dark place when we separate human uh, parent. Uh, I'm sorry, personhood from humanity. That's when you dehumanize a group of people so we can justify all the horrible and atrocious things that you can do to them because they're not really persons. Um, that's what happened to the, to the six million Jews in, during the Holocaust. We're talking about genocide. We're talking about slavery and here abortions. So by saying that some humans are not persons, the advocates are basically acting like gods. They get to decide who deserve to live 
and who deserve to die. So I want, now I want to introduce you to the SLED test that's widely used by Christian apologists because I'm trying to teach you guys some reasoning, right? So the, uh, to reason and show evidence that the unborn is a human person. So this was created by Scott Glusendorf, who is a pro-life apologist, the author of the book, uh, Case for Life. And he's also the president of the Life Training Institute, where he equips people like you and I uh, to stand up for life. So he said, as a nation, we are debating on one question. Who counts as one of us? So he came up with four points that we can use to compare the unborn to the born uh, for arguments. So he used the four ac uh, this acronym SLED, size, level of development, environment, and degree of dependency. So many of the pro-abortion arguments will touch on one or multiple of these points. And you can, you can reason and you can support your stand, um, you know, by using one of these, and we're about to learn about this. So let's go through each point quickly. So size. Is a toddler less of a person than an adult because she is small? Does size determine, the, uh, you know, qualify you as a person? So if size does matter, you know, does determine whether you're a person or not, then I'm in big trouble. I'm exceptionally short at barely 5'2", the size of a 12-year-old. So if size determines the value of a person, I will be less of a person than almost all of you here. So many pro-abortionists uh, argue that the embryo is just a clump of cells. It doesn't even look like a human. So thanks to advancements in science, we know that the embryo is not a part, but a whole human being from the moment of conception. It has everything it needs, including genetic materials to grow. So embryo, the, the embryo is not something different from a person. It is a whole human person just at a different stage of development, which leads me to my next point level of development. Is our value as a person determined by our abilities and cognitive functions? So obviously, a two-year-old toddler is not as self-aware or intelligent as an adult. But that doesn't make him or her less of a person. He is just at a different level of development. But here are some arguments that you might hear. Well, the unborn can think, or it doesn't know that it exists, or it doesn't even feel pain. So if the unborn baby is disqualified as a person because it can't think, or it can't know that it exists, how about some born people who are severely mentally disabled? How about people who are in a coma? So there are people who, who suffer from this genetic disease called congenital analgesia, where they can feel pain. So can we say that those patients are not human persons? So again, the unborn is a human person 
it's just at a different level of development. So let's move to environment. Does where you are affect who you are? Does it make sense that a 24-week-old baby born prematurely is being treated as a person in a hospital, but some states allow abortions of 24-week pregnancies because they don't think that the unborns are persons. So some arguments you might hear are, well, it's not in the world yet. It doesn't even breathe air. What the unborn is in the world, it's just hidden. You can't touch it, you can't see it yet. And the unborn does take in oxygen, you know, through the blood in the placenta. So, and also who says, who decides that breathing air through your lungs is a requirement for being a person? Who gets to say that? So you can see how we can use the level of development to argue this point as well. So let's take a look at the last point in SLED, and that is degree of dependency. So without a doubt, the unborn is dependent on the mother's womb to provide nutrition and a proper environment. But when does depending on someone else disqualify you as a person? Have you guys seen newborns and toddlers? I've had three babies. As newborns and toddlers, they were very much, very much dependent on me and Erwan to provide a safe environment, to provide proper nutrition. We, we never say that a toddler is not a person, right? So as you can see, the SLED test gave us, gives us four solid points that we can use to reason and argue the unborn is a human person who deserve rights. So the slogan, oh. the slogan, my body, my choice, seems to be at the center of the debate. At first glance, these four words make a whole lot of sense, right? Especially, especially for me as a woman. You know, I should, or all of you, should have a choice to say what happens to your own body. But this argument, that is the right to control what happens to one's own body, is not, is not about who deserves the right. It's about drawing a line when it affects someone else's right. What happens when my choice harms the life of another? There are laws against those things. We can do, we can do that, right? So what about the rights of the newborn? If a newborn can speak, he or she can also protest, my choice, my body, my choice, and I choose not to be aborted. I choose life. So here, we're going back to the million-dollar questions of whether an unborn is a person, as a human, that deserves rights. So, I feel like we just covered a whole lot of information and thoughts. I hope you guys are still with me. Um, I want to share another interesting conversation from the youth retreat two weeks ago. So during our small group discussion, another high school girls, girl, these girls are amazing. They have amazing questions. This, another high school girl shared that at school, 
um, a friend asked her her stand, what her th thoughts are on Roe v. Wade. And she told them what exactly what she believed, that abortions are wrong and she's pro-life. And because of what she said, some people didn't like her or still don't like her. So I asked her, how do you feel about that? You know, uh, as, a, as a teenager, that can be hard. And she said, it's okay, because I know what's right. I think it takes a deep conviction and such courage, especially for a 14, 15 year old, to stand up for her belief. Standing up for her belief and not shying away from a very controversial subject. You know, we've told our boys not to be troublemakers, not to start fights, and usually they don't. But we also told them when somebody else starts a fight, you stand up and defend yourself. So the couch, our culture has started so many fights against the word of God. May it be the fight on pro-life, on the family unit, on the institution of marriage, um, on all sorts of things, right? On, um, right now it's abortion, on pro-life. They have people have started so many fights against the church. We are bombarded by values and ideas that don't align with our Christian faith. I want to share with you and close with Ephesians 4, 14, 15 today. Paul is talking about growing in the knowledge of God and he wrote, then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. So I urge you not to be wrapped up in the emotions of the debate of social media. Don't be tricked by the lies and the half-truths of the enemy. Don't be swayed by the culture when you know it's wrong. You know, culture changes, law changes, but the word of God remains. Always, always align yourself with the word of God. I also encourage all of you to actively and boldly speak the truth in love. Don't shy away when the time calls for you to stand up and defend the truth. So I wanna pray for all of us today. This isn't an easy topic, but I pray that the Holy Spirit has given you understanding and wisdom. So let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your word that is alive and well, Lord Jesus. Like the worship earlier, you are our champion, Lord Jesus, that we shall not fear what the world says, 
that we can take confidence in you. We can take confidence in your word that never changes. Father God, I want to pray for all of my brothers and sisters in this place. I pray for the discernment to know the truth that is according to your word. I pray for a deep conviction to believe in the truth and the courage and the boldness to stand firm and speak the truth in love, especially when it's hard and against what everybody else says. Father God, we thank you, Lord, and we love you. In the name above all name, in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you, everyone. Have a wonderful Sunday, and we'll see you next week. Thank you.